Hello and welcome to the TBG Real Estate Podcast, where we connect you with some of the most innovative and exciting real estate leaders today. We will show you that there are numerous paths to a successful career in the real estate industry, and that some of your greatest missteps can be turned into your greatest triumphs. Without further ado, here's the head of TBG Real Estate, Chris Papa. All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Papa, and we have brought back everyone's favorite co-host, Mickey Penzer. Mickey, how are you doing? Hi, Chris. I'm doing very well. Um, nice weather today in New York again, which is making Genghis Cohen took a long walk, and we're very happy. Um, and I'm really excited to have Mike on because he's a good friend of mine. So looking forward. Mickey, you used to be on this, my co-host, every week, and then you disappeared. Where'd you go? Um, I was on every week. I'd say I was on more regularly. And then, I don't know, work just got busy filling jobs. So, but COVID is giving us some peace and you've just been recording like hotcakes. So yeah, well, I want you back more every week. People are demanding it. Um, yeah. So today you mentioned Mike, we have a, a very, very special guest, Mr. Michael Mintz. Michael is the CEO and founder of MD squared property group. How are you, Michael? Good, Chris. Thank you so much for having me, Mickey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. I've we've I've actually known you for a number of years. We've never, we definitely. I, I don't think I've ever seen you. Now I'm seeing you on this on our our recording session here. Uh, but I'm I'm in California. It's May seventh, uh, still in lockdown. And uh, Mickey and Michael, you're both in Manhattan, correct? That's right. And uh, how's the uh, how's the not the temperature, you know, not, not, not the hot factor, but how's the temperature regarding the, the lockdown there? Is everyone starting to go a little crazy? So I'll let Mickey answer this one. Um, I'll give you my answer after I hear hers. <laughs> um, go ahead, Mick. I think people are going a little stir crazy. Um, I also think like, thankfully a lot of the data coming in is showing that it's not as dangerous as we had to worry about in early March and we're getting more facts around things. Um, I think there's the more and more facts, the more we can make accurate reopening plans and things like that. But um, I feel a little bit less scared than I did at the beginning of March. Gotcha. But That's I'm still good. being careful. And I think everyone should still be as careful as possible, especially if you're going around near people who have any underlying conditions or who are in the high risk category. Yeah. How are you doing, Mike? Especially like, all right, let's, Let's let's get it. Let's jump into this. We can, I think we'll bring it back to COVID and, and then your business too, because it definitely is probably is affected by that. Uh, so, Michael, you're the uh, CEO and founder of MD Squared Property Group. Can you tell everyone what what MD Squared is? Yeah, definitely. So, MD Squared is a um, a real estate investment firm and then property management firm. So, we both we do both third party property management for owners of multifamily properties in the New York area um, and in Connecticut. And then we also manage condominium and co-op properties. And then we also put together deals with groups of investors where we'll find properties, we'll raise the money for the deals, and then ultimately operate the properties and, and put into place a business plan. Nice, man. And I met you when you were at uh, First Service, right? I think it was Cooper Square back then, right? That's right. That's a, that's a long time ago. Those were good <laughs> days. Um, so yeah, so actually, that's actually where I started my career in New York um, when I was at um, Cooper Square at the time. Um, and then, um, that was, that company merged into a company called first service. And then back in 2014, I decided it was an opportune time for me to start my own business. 
um, and left for service and decided to start my own property management and investment business. Interesting. Um, it's interesting because did you start at first service or Cooper as more on the property operations side? Yeah. So, so my background, so, so I guess stepping back a little bit. So in college I studied, um, engineering and economics. Um, I always like engineering and understanding kind of how things were built and how things worked. Um, I studied actually specifically computer engineering in college. So, um, I thought I was going to do something in programming or hardware development or something along those lines. And then by my senior year, my fourth year in school, I had kind of gotten tired of it. Um, I actually would have needed an additional semester to graduate with computer engineering. I had enough credits to graduate with an economics degree. Um, so kind of thought about, do I really want to stay in school longer? Didn't really want to stay in school. And I really enjoyed construction. So I decided at the time to, um, to graduate and go and work for a developer in Northeast DC. Um, we actually, I was doing some affordable housing work. Um, I actually kind of between that job starting and, and the, and between my job with the developer starting and graduating school, I actually also for a couple of months was a construction crew leader with Habitat for Humanity to get oh, nice. some real kind of on-site experience with doing construction. Um, but I realized I really enjoy construction. So I had gone, gone to work for a developer. This was in, two, I'd say mid to late 2007. Um, and obviously the market was kind of falling apart at that point, worked for the developer for about six months and they basically stopped all their construction projects. My role at that point turned into a property management role. Um, so I was on the operations side of helping to lease out spaces um, and then deal with maintenance requests and, and just kind of making sure people were paying their rents and doing kind of all the typical day-to-day -day property management roles. Um, so at that point I decided my friends were all up in New York, might as well move up to New York, um, came up here, got the job with Cooper Square at the time. And was really my my role was actively involved day to day with buildings, so dealing, you know, with things going on in the buildings if there were repairs, and we had to kind of diagnose what the issues were and figure out who were the right professionals to bring in to solve the problems. Um, dealing with the building staff, resolving conflicts between neighbors, kind of all the typical day to day property management tasks. Do you know that I actually interviewed with Cooper Square to be an assistant property manager? And I didn't I didn't get the job because I didn't know the difference between a co op and a condo. Oh, so that's actually funny that you mentioned that. That's one of the first questions my business partner always asks. Um, Dawn, my business partner, Dawn Dickstein, she always asks during interviews, what's the difference between a co-op and condo? And I'll say people who know that coming in, it definitely gives her um, a, a sense of joy. Um, and yeah. it's actually funny. She was also at first service with me. Um, we had left around the same time. So I wonder if she was the person who interviewed you for that role. Cause she asked the, the building on the east now. side. I was on the east side. I remember, I forget where it okay. was. Well, well, for our listeners, I know what the difference is, but do you want to tell them, Mike, what's the difference between a co-op and a condo? I live in a condo, a co-op, or no, I live in a condo. I don't, I just, I still don't know the difference. <laughs> so I, I actually think it might be more fun, Mickey, to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> Or do you want, you want to hear mine and see if it's right? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's see if you got the job. Um, 8, 8 p.m. So here we come. A co-op is actually a corporation that's split into shares, and you own shares of the corporation, and you all own equal shares. And so you have a lot more limitations on who you can rent it out to, but you also have a lot con more control over who your fellow um, owners are, whereas a co-op, you're really just buying the individual unit. And so there's a lot more flexibility on being able to rent it out. And so that's why usually co-ops are priced cheaper than condos because you have to deal with all these restrictions. That's pretty good. I think you got the job, Mickey. All right. <laughs> Wait a minute. Don't leave. Don't leave me. Don't leave me, Mickey. 
Chrissy, throwing a fee on this one. <laughs> I'm not leaving, but thank you, Mike. I appreciate the offer. At least it's nice to know I have somewhere to go. God forbid. So the 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 interesting part, we just did a webinar uh, last week, Mickey and I, myself, with um, uh, young real estate professionals in New York. Um, I don't know if you know that organization, but yep, a lot of people, it's a lot of young people, as it says, um, and a lot of them are like, oh, how how do we get into acquisitions roles? And like, they all want to be like, you know, acquisitions analysts at, you know, private equity firms or something. Uh, and, you know, and they're, my, my advice to them and your proof of, of concept is that like, get into real estate any way you can. Right. I mean, you, you got in through the prop, the operational side and now you're running an investment firm and property management company. Right. So you I mean, right. can you talk a little bit about how important it is to know how properties operate before you can, start investing in them? Yeah, hundred percent. So from my perspective, so I guess a couple of things stepping back. So in terms of investments, right, there's generally two ways that you're going to make money. You're going to either increase your revenues so that your cash flow coming in is greater, or you're going to decrease your expenses, right? By doing either of those, when you take over a property, you're ultimately increasing the profits and making that property more valuable so that everyone makes more money. Um, so to me, Essential to that is understanding how properties operate. Understanding how properties operate both affect how you can reduce expenses, whether it's through energy efficiencies, whether it's through operational efficiencies, whether it's through just making sure things are preventively maintained so you don't need to do major repairs later on, um, or just not wasting money on vendors telling you things sometimes that just aren't accurate because you understand how things work and you can challenge them when something doesn't make sense. Um, and then on the income side, by understanding the operations, you can make sure your residents have a much better experience. And especially as we're seeing now with kind of this amenities war, war that's going on in buildings, where buildings just kind of want to add more and more amenities. The whole idea of adding amenities is to give residents a better experience. Um, but if from a operational side, you could also understand better how to interact with residents, how to train your staff and kind of how to have a team below you that feels empowered to do the right thing with, for residents and to kind of take care of residents right. Um, it really does. It really does help to to improve that experience for everyone, and that ultimately adds value and ultimately keeps your tenants in properties much longer. Um, so you have less turn turnover. You know, one of the things that, especially on multifamily rentals, really sometimes will kill your your budget is if you have too much vacancy, if you have too much turnover. Every time someone moves out of an apartment, you have whether it's a week or a month or two months that an apartment's vacant because you're waiting to look for a new tenant, that's costing you money. Um, the cost to paint an apartment costs you money. In a lot of our properties, we make an effort to, so in a lot of our properties, we make an effort to try to create a good sense of community, um, which we find that by creating that sense of community, it creates a better environment and makes people want to stay in properties longer. So for example, we'll do um, breakfasts in the lobby of a building um, to try to get people to know each other, make people feel more attached to their neighbors. Um, we'll try to do things to create that sense of community. When our residents move in, we try to make efforts to um, give them, whether it's a gift basket, whether it's a um, welcome bottle of alcohol or um, with a nice welcome letter. We try to do things that ultimately improve that experience um, just because from what I've seen with property management, being on the ground with operations, small things make a big impact on people. And if you could make someone have a bigger, a better experience, um, they'll stay much longer. That, that example of the gifts when people move in, the reason we do it is because we don't want that first interaction someone has with our office to be they're calling because they say, hey, the 
the bathroom tub wasn't cleaned well enough between the turnover or, um, you know, my microwave isn't working. We want their first experience to be, they're calling, they're like, whoa, I just moved into my apartment and you guys left me a nice bottle of whiskey on my counter. That's so awesome. I've never had a management company do that before. Um, and then, yeah, look, they're probably going to call with a complaint a couple of days later. Um, and we know that that's practical. Like that's kind of what happens with most departments is always going to be something that's not perfect. Um, but if you have that positive relationship between the manager and the resident, that communication, that conversation goes much nicer and, and everyone kind of walks away from it, kind of feeling much better about it than if people are calling just because they're frustrated and they feel someone didn't do something they were supposed to do. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, property management seems like a hard job. Um, I've had property managers. I have a property manager now, my, my, my condo association. Um, now you got into your, you were at Cooper Square, our first service for a long time. Did you, did you have a lot of different roles there? Did you Started as like an APM or work your way up or? Yeah, so I, I, I actually did start as an assistant manager, um, so a, an APM. So maybe I got your role, it's possible. Um, <laughs> it's definitely possible. So I started as an APM and, and slowly worked my way up. I actually had um, some on-site jobs where it was larger properties that had on-site offices, some office portfolio jobs, um, and moved up to being a property manager there. Um, while I was there also, I worked with with um, one of the principals over there on helping to put together deals and find deals for us to buy. Um, so kind of started to learn the acquisition side a little bit. Um, but yeah, Cooper Square and, and then First Service gave me great experience. Truthfully, they were great people there. One of my my favorite people in, in this world, or multiple actually of my favorite people, um, are people who are friends and bosses from there. Um, but two specifically that I could think of that just have had a huge impact on my life is, is one of my bosses, Tom Padilla. Um, so he was my immediate boss when I started and taught me a tremendous amount. And then David Cooperberg, who was the CEO of Cooper Square and First Service, um, ended up mentoring me and really helping me to grow. And, and he was the one that I worked with to help find different properties and different opportunities to, 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 to do acquisitions. Um, and really these are people that I'm still very close with that I still respect heavily and, and have had a major influence on my life. How did you move? I mean, there's a lot of people at Cooper Square or N First Service. I'm sure many of them were not, well, interacting with David Cooperberg and, and also helping them make acquisitions. How did you become that guy? That's a good question. Sometimes I wonder. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. I'm, I'm not quite <laughs> sure. You? Like, I, I could tell you there's, yeah, no. So, so to some extent, I think I was lucky. There were some specific instances that I think created that relationship. So I, I could tell you some specific ones, but it, it's interesting how in life, like happenstances, right, can ultimately lead to things that can change your life. And I'll actually give you another story afterwards of something that kind of led me to what I was doing. But so, so one of the main things that had happened was my, I was probably about three or four months into my employment at, at Cooper Square. And Cooper Square was having a green day. I, th I think it was Earth Day or something, and they were going to do this green day. So they put together this committee of people that were supposed to create a green newsletter. Um, most people in the office were a little bit older, didn't ne necessarily how to know how to use um, Microsoft Publisher at the time. This was in, what, 2008, 2009. So Microsoft Publisher was like what you use to put together newsletters and whatnot, and I happened to know how to use it. So I became the editor of the what we called Greenspiration, which was the Cooper Square Green Newsletter. Um, mm. So I actually put a lot of effort into it. Obviously, 
when you're newer in a company, you have, I would say, generally a lot more time. You're learning things, but you also just don't have as much of a workload, so you have a lot more time to kind of do other things. Um, so this kind of became my pet project, and I put a lot of effort into it, um, got a lot of different people in the office to write some good articles, got some um, crossword puzzles and word searches and other fun things. Um, and we actually put together what I thought was a pretty nice publication. So after we put that out, David Cooperberg actually came over to my desk the next day and like literally said to me, he's like, wow, I'm blown away by this. This is amazing what you put together. Um, and that was my first interaction with him. I had never interacted him with him beforehand. Um, and then after that, kind of every time he would see me in the hallway, he would say hi. Um, and then we had some sort of rapport. Um, about six months later or so, he needed someone to be an on-site um, kind of assistant property manager. It was they, they called it an operations specialist, um, but effectively the role was second to a general manager at an 1,100-unit complex. Um, so it was at a very large property. Um, so he, at that point, knew me. Um, he knew that I was pretty organized, and he called me into his office. He's like, Michael, look, do you think this is something you'd be interested in? It's a tough property. There's a lot of infighting within the board and, and, and just kind of a lot of tension within the building. Do you think you'd be interested in it? You'd be working directly with me. Um, and so to me, when he said I'd be working directly with him, that just seemed like an amazing opportunity. Um, so I said yes. Um, I took that role. I ended up staying on site for a little over a year until they moved me back to the city to be a portfolio manager again, and they moved me into a property manager role. Um, but that really was what solidified my relationship with him. When I came back to the city, he then um, gave me the opportunity to manage some personal properties that he owned. Um, and I immediately said to him, I think we could renovate some of the apartments here to get up the rent. Um, and he was pretty happy about that. He's like, okay, if you think we could do it, let's try it on a couple. Um, we started doing some renovations. We started also kind of systematically looking at the rents of all the tenants in the buildings and trying to push up rents. A lot of the managers previously had been just charging, you know, a 50 or $25 a year increase um, to tenants versus looking at what were the market rents. So there had become a big disparity between what new tenants were paying and what existing tenants were paying in the building. So I looked and I started pushing rents a little bit to try to get everything more in line with where the market was and where things were leasing at that point. Um, we got the rent rolls up nearly, I think in that first year, over 20%. Um, so he was pretty happy with that um, and then started saying, hey, look, if we could do stuff like this, why don't we try to find some other undermanaged buildings and let's try to renovate them the same way. Um, so that's when we started talking about buying properties and doing some deals together. Um, he taught me how to model. He taught me how to underwrite deals um, and truthfully really spent a lot of time teaching me a, a lot of what I know today. Um, so it was really one, one opportunity that led to the next to the next. Um, I'll tell you as an aside and, and feel free to chime in at any point if I'm talking too much. Oh, but um, so one interesting thing that actually happened also, which was another one of these happenstance things. Um, so while at Cooper Square, they used to circulate this publication called Department Law Insider once a month when it would come out. Um, it's actually now I believe owned by Habitat Magazine, Vendo Media put it out. Um, but so they would circulate this, this newsletter that basically would talk about legal cases that came out and explain a little bit about the legal cases. And it wasn't for lawyers, it was more for property managers and real estate professionals. So it wouldn't be in super complex legalese. It would be kind of more in, in, in layman's terms, but it would explain to you why a case was decided a certain way, what were the nuances of the case and kind of help you understand how that complies to different situations. So I read this one art, this one issue that came out about um, the the Stytown Peter Cooper Village um, versus Tishman's Fire case, um, which was the whole case that brought up the whole J51 issue with rent stabilization, which effectively kind of totally changed the rules of the game for New York City rent stabilized real estate. 
Um, and when I read that article, I'm like, wait, I think my building might have a J51 abatement. Um, so when I went back home, I started researching it, found out that my apartment um, had a J50, my building had J51 tax abatement. My apartment had likely been illegally deregulated. I pulled the necessary records from the state to see what the previous registered rents were, realized my apartment should have been stabilized, um, reached out to my landlord, tried having a conversation with my landlord. My landlord kept refusing to speak to me, um, ended up having a lawsuit with him. My rent was set a lot lower. My apartment now is stabilized because of this. Um, but interestingly enough, that caused me to really understand the rent stabilized system um, really thoroughly, which yeah. is also a big part of what helped me add value managing properties for um, David Cooperberg and other rent stabilized owners. Um, and at the same time, also it helped me to understand the relationships between tenants and landlords. So obviously I had a contentious relationship for a period of time with my landlord um, and it helped me be empathetic to tenants in situations where they just didn't have trust with their landlords because of the situations they were in. And I think over time it helped me, has helped me really to relate to tenants and help resolve situations with tenants um, when there's been issues in buildings that frankly have escalated unnecessarily because neither party trusts each other. Um, so because of the unique situation that I've been in, I think it really has helped me to grow into my grow in my career and bring value to both to myself and to to my properties and to my clients' properties. So you belong. So you owe your entire career to Microsoft Publisher, huh? That's what I got out of that. No, that's right. But, basically, uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Microsoft owns the world, at least for uh, me, not Amazon uh, anymore. I think it, he brings up a good point because I I've seen similar things like in my career that the more you volunteer to like make your boss's life easier, the more opportunities you're going to get and the more they're going to rely on you. And then the more they'll invest in training you. And I kind of said the same thing on that webinar, this webinar that Chris and I hosted for some people trying to get into the industry. Like in one of my jobs I worked at the city controller and I kept, when I was not busy, I would volunteer to work with other people at the firm besides my boss. And one of the guys left to go to the department of corrections and he brought me over there for my next internship. And so it's a little bit like, like the more you make yourself valuable, the more you'll, opportunities you'll get. So don't just do the bare minimum if you actually want to get ahead. Well, you also said something too in our, that webinar making me like one of the employee, one of the jobs of the employee is to make your boss's life easier. That's your, um, only, job. That's your <laughs> only job. And Mike, I mean, you were like, all right, I'll take on this responsibility of making this newsletter. Um, I'll help you, David, to uh, help you with your, your apartment. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you didn't get paid extra to do the newsletter. Um, you know, you just volunteered your time and said, how can I be useful? Um, and it's not necessarily like a, and I found in my life too, like it's not necessarily like I want to get somewhere, but it's not necessarily like a direct line there, right? It's just yep. about being, finding, you know, people want to work with people they like and that are helping them. And so like you were helpful and they, they liked you. And so, he, right. you know, he kept giving you more and more responsibility. That's how I got onto the podcast because Chris needed more guests. And when I kept giving him good guests, he was like, well, why don't you join me when it's your one of your guests? So, and then um, that's how I got more involved in the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, so the other thing that I think is the more interactions you can generally have with people, the more trust gets built. Um, and obviously, the more trust that, that gets built, the more people feel they can depend on you and they can count on you um, for assignments and tasks that they need um, to become more and more valuable to them. Um, so to me, also, just whether it's with building business relationships and possible connections and leads to to draw business from, um, whether it's connections with your employees, 
um, or connections with your bosses, right? The more interactions you could have, the more that you can show people that you're reliable and that you're going to come through on things that you tell them you'll do, um, the more valuable you become to them. And so you're building up, you're at Cooper Square for a service. You're working with David Cooperberg. You're doing some acquisitions. You're learning how to underwrite properties. I mean, what was it? What was the point where you're like, no, I want to do this myself. And, and then when you did it yourself, what were you planning on doing? Just, just doing the management side or doing both or what was, what was the plan there? Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good question. So a couple of things that led to me wanting to do it myself. Um, so one was David Cooperberg, who, like I said, I had become very close with, he was retiring. Um, when he announced that he was retiring, um, I was not sure I wanted to stay at Cooper Square for service any longer because um, a large part of the reason that I was there was because of him and my relationship with him, um, which I think is also just an, just interesting that I do think a lot of people gain an allegiance that comes to that trust thing. Just like he tr trust me, I was trusting him and my allegiance was to him, not necessarily the company, um, which I think is something that in the corporate world gets lost a lot of the times. Um, cause I do think it's the people and the individuals that ultimately build that culture and build the loyalty, not really the company. Um, and, and as people leave, it causes other people to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, it, as an aside to that really quickly, I, I heard Malcolm Gladwell speaking last year at a 92nd street Y event. Um, and he was actually saying that a lot of companies like Google and, and Amazon and some of the larger companies actually have this concept of always hiring in teams. So if they're going to hire a, um, if they're going to hire a software development manager, right, they're going to say, hey, were there any software developers that worked below you that you really worked well with? If so, let's try to hire you guys together because replicating kind of that, that team chemistry is not easy to do when you start from scratch. But if you could hire a group that already has that chemistry, you're going to hit the ground money, running kind of much stronger. And I just thought as a concept, that's interesting. And I think it's very true because relationships and, and trust in people helps everyone work much better together. Um, totally. But so when, Dave, when David decided he was going to retire and announced that, that was kind of when I started thinking about leaving. Um, at the time also, I'll, I'll say, somewhat naively now that I have my own property management business, I realized that it's not the case, but I had thought that the, that first service was probably making substantially more profit off of my work than they really were. Um, <laughs> so I felt they should have been compensating me better. Um, and they kept saying, no, we can't compensate you with too much more. Um, so because I had that feeling, because David was leaving and that's really who I had my loyalty to, I decided, okay, let me go do this on my own. Now I will say when we left, I did not have any clients lined up, was not sure what I was going to do. I actually did have one investor I had been speaking to who um, knew me through some of the deals with David, who was interested in buying some more properties. Um, and so I'd spoken with him about possibly syndicating some deals. And my hope was when I came out in 2014 to first find some properties and would be kind of just an owner management, an owner operator firm. Um, pretty quickly, I realized that the ability to close a deal in New York at the time um, was was not something that I was comfortable with at that point. Um, it, I, I felt I needed kind of some more guidance and direction, needed to look at the market more. Pricing I felt was just extremely high and the truth is it went up much higher after that. It's come down now since then, um, but I, I probably still would have done okay if I bought at that point, but I just didn't feel comfortable with it. I felt that it would have been too big of a risk. Um, so I kind of reverted back to what I knew and what I knew was management. So I said, okay, let me start an operating management company um, while I look at deals. And in six months or a year, I'll start buying my first property. 
It actually ended up being about three years that it took me to buy my first property. Um, but um, I ended up getting there. Um, but at, at the same time, it allowed me to grow a management business. And, and truthfully, I'll say at this point, my property management business probably takes up, I'd say about 70% of my day, um, just because that has grown to a size where it is a, a pretty substantial workload. And were you, how did you get your first client? You're like, you're a guy who worked at Cooper Square and now you don't. So how did you, did you just knocking on doors or where did you find these people? Yeah, no. So, so, so I guess digital knocking on doors, right? Sending out emails to all the people that, that I knew, all the people that I'd come into contact with at, at Cooper Square, who I knew owned properties or were on boards of different properties, um, but were not being managed by Cooper Square for service. Um, I will say I was very, very careful not to step on first services toes. I wanted to leave them on good terms. Um, and I did not want to them to feel like I was taking clients or competing with them. Obviously, with the size of New York, there's a lot of opportunities out there. Um, and I did feel that I had gained a lot from First Service. They trained me to know most of what I knew. Um, and I, I, I appreciated the people there. Um, so I did not want to ruffle feathers with that. So I, when I left, I was careful not to kind of not to um, cross any boundaries or, or do anything that they would feel was infringing on their space. Um, but I was reaching out to people who I'd met while I was in the space of first service that mm -hmm. weren't necessarily doing business with first service. Um, and luckily, actually, one of our clients um, or at, uh, uh, someone who I'd become friendly with who worked for another um, owner and he had introduced me to his boss, his boss and I started speaking a little bit. Um, and his boss, um, when I, when he told his boss that I was leaving to start my own company, his boss called me. He's like, Hey, we're buying a small walk up on the Upper East Side. Do you guys want to manage it? Um, and it was literally out of the blue. Um, he was just extremely, um, supportive and said, I think it's great that you're starting your own business. Let me help you. Um, and gave us our first building. Um, nice. from there it was slow in terms of getting other buildings. We would go on a lot of pitches and slowly get some, I'd say it probably took about a year, year and a half till we really started getting some real traction. Um, but once we started getting traction, they started coming in pretty quickly. Um, at this point, we managed about 100 buildings um, in mostly Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, and yeah, it's six years later, and, and it's really, I'd say, grown pretty nicely. You said you brought over someone from uh, from First Service that you knew who had left at the same time? So, no, I, so, so my business partner, Dawn Dickstein, um, mm -hmm. she was working at First Service at the same time with me. Um, and so when I decided I was going to leave, she had heard that I was going to leave and she came over to me um, and suggested that um, we had spoken previously about the fact that she wasn't super happy in her role and she was thinking maybe making a change. Um, so we decided that it made sense to do it together. Um, she actually is, um, she is... This is recorded, so she might not be happy with how I say this, but she's older than me. Um, so um, I felt that the dynamic of having both an older woman also um, to a younger guy um, is just a good dynamic in business. I tend to be kind of a little bit more pushy and more kind of let's just get things done. She tends to be a little bit more um, let's think about it. Let's kind of let, let, let's let it kind of soak for a bit and kind of decide kind of what we want to do. Mm -hmm. So kind of that dynamic I think is good. Um, and I think we've created a good business together. Balance each other out. Exactly. Com complement each other. Exactly. It's hard, hard to find somebody like that. Um, and so, I mean, what are the, what are the uh, surprising things that have surprised you positively and like things that are kind of like, I guess, negative about owning your own business that you didn't, you didn't realize were going to come down the pipe. Definitely. So, 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 
the positive, I, I think the biggest positive to me is really the culture. Um, being able to create your own company culture is just amazing to me. Um, like, I love the people in my office. Um, our team is just amazing. Literally, like, I, I think I think of them somewhat as family. I would sacrifice things for them, and I would probably give of myself before I, I would give of my own um, for them um, because I really value them. I think they work hard to keep the company going, but they also kind of we have this culture where people look out for each other, people take care of each other. Um, you know, in property management in general, it's just a very tough business. You generally have a lot of people who are very bitter and, and, and kind of jaded by the business. Um, I think we've created a culture where most people in the office are extremely positive. Um, people are supportive of each other. You know, we have an office dog. We serve lunch every day. We um, really try to create a positive culture. Um, I'll say we're probably a little bit more relaxed than other property management offices. Mm -hmm. If you don't have meetings with clients, we let you come in in jeans and t-shirt if you want. Um, we kind of take a lot of that approach of the tech companies where if you're not kind of necessarily public facing on that day, like you have enough stress going on in your life. We don't need to create more stress for you. Um, and then to that point also, like we, we try to find small things that we can do for people to um, ultimately make them have a more positive experience. Um, whether it's things for people's birthdays, sending them gifts, even right now with COVID, right? So we've been having some interesting conversations when people seem stressed. We've been talking about why don't we send them like a, a, one of these spa treatment packages to their house or something like that. Um, obviously we can't necessarily, we can't necessarily send them to a spa right now. Um, but if we could find something cute to send them to make them feel like, look, we're thinking about them, we're caring about them. I think it makes people feel makes people feel good. Um, we actually, I, I was actually on another podcast last week, and I shared this story um, of an employee who his father had been injured. Um, he was from California. His father had been injured. I think it was on Thursday. Um, he told us about it Thursday afternoon. He came in Friday. Um, we told him that we bought him a ticket to California to go and spend, spend the weekend with his dad. Oh, wow. His dad nice. was in the hospital, and his dad was sick. Um, his mom called us literally crying about how this meant so much to them that as a company, we would take that step and do that. Um, and that's the type of thing that to me builds more loyalty than anything, right? Like you could give someone a $10,000 bonus, right? That ticket cost us what, $500? You could give someone a $10,000 bonus. It wouldn't have even close to the same meaning as doing something like that. Um, so to me, it's that type, of, that type of mindset, that type of thought process. You've got to try to figure out how do you make your employees know that you have their back, right? And that you're looking out for them and that you're gonna be looking to make sure that they get taken care of properly. And it just creates this culture that is just amazing. And to me, that's been the biggest positive. We have a marketing consultant that, that came in recently. Um, this was actually not so recently now, maybe six months ago, um, time flies in, in COVID time. Um, so we had a marketing consultant maybe six months ago who came in and she kind of had a, uh, staff meeting with everyone so that she could learn more about the company culture. Um, and she said to us when she left, she's like, I have never had a meeting with a company where the employees love where they work so much. Um, we actually oh, wow. took our first employee. We have someone from Facebook who came to work for us. Um, so this actually started just before COVID. I'm like, you think Facebook, Google, right? These are the companies that who could steal anyone from? Like they're the best companies in the world to work from. Um, and to me, like I think of that as like a huge badge of honor, right? That like someone came from Facebook because they heard our culture was so good and they weren't happy there. So they're like, oh, let's go work over here. Um, to me, that's amazing. And that's kind of what I love creating. And I'd say that's been the biggest positive of, of doing this. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm reading a book called The Culture, the culture Code. It talks about how to create you know those, those types of cultures. And it's, it, thankfully, like I think Mickey, you and I, we have that, uh, 
within our team at, uh, at the background group, but it's, it's very rare. I mean, I've worked a, a few places in my life and it's, most people don't have that sense of like family. Yeah. We have a very good team culture for sure. Um, and I mean, you're the head of the team, so it's a lot because I think you put a big focus on like reading these books and trying to make that happen because it takes a lot of effort. It doesn't just happen. Um, and your yeah. office dog is super cute. I have met her. She's lovely. She she came on a UJA site tour with us. It's yeah. true. She's, oh, yeah? she's very quiet. So if I put her in her bag, she just hides quietly in her bag and she's super happy to come along. <laughs> What's your dog's name? Her name is Yuna. Yuna. Yeah. Um, yeah. You got a dog. Mickey's got a dog. I have a cat. You might have just heard Genghis Cohen because um, oh, one of our I couldn't tell if Oh, there's someone who's coming by. The little girl that comes by, she came by? Yeah, so one of our na- my neighbors has a two-year-old, and they're like BFF, and so he heard her like laughing in the hall, so he wanted to go play with her. Mike, you're talking about COVID. Like, what, on the management side, I mean, I mean it's got to be rough, because you got on-site managers, and it's just got to be really tough, uh, especially just being in New York and, and, and Manhattan, mainly, for your building. So can you go, go through, like, what's what you guys are up to, and what's happening, and how it's changed? And Yeah, definitely. Kind of struggles? So... Look, I, I'll say I actually think we're lucky to be property managers with everything going on. It's a stable business. Um, luckily, our business is down somewhat, but not down heavily. Um, and so I think we, we haven't had to let anyone go, haven't had to furlough anyone. Um, and so I actually think we're very lucky in the property management space right now. Um, but yeah, we've been pretty busy, um, you know, whether it's it's issues with residents in our buildings getting COVID, right? And, and kind of making sure that we follow the proper policies and, and procedures to notify with as much information as we're legally allowed to other people in the building, take the proper precautions for cleaning and, and disinfecting and whatnot, building staff getting sick and, and once again, doing the same cleaning and disinfecting and notifications, but then additionally trying to figure out who we're going to get to cover and, and how we're going to handle those shifts. Um, whether it's, um, whether it's trying to get masks, right? That's been a crazy thing. So obviously with the Cuomo order in common areas of buildings, you're required to wear masks. So all of our doormen, all of our porters, they all have to have masks on when they're working. And, you know, obviously they could wear them for a couple of weeks, the same mask, but the masks are to get into bad shape. And especially if these guys are sweating, the porters, right? They're moving around, they're active, they're taking out trash, right? Wearing the same mask for multiple days becomes a little bit gross. Um, so we've been struggling with that stuff. You know, we, we've found some of the same vendor vendors that the um, police department, fire department are using for masks. We've been going to them to kind of get some of the masks. They're obviously expensive, but we can get them. Um, we've tried ordering some of those direct from China and they're being held up. Um, from what I understand, the Chinese government generally is not letting out protective gear to the U S unless it's brought kind of either on private planes or through other countries. Um, so it's become a challenge and, and, even the fact that I've learned that, right? We could get masks through Egypt now, but right? Like it's oh, such wow. a random thing that I had to learn, but like we had to figure out where yeah. to get them from. Um, so, so it's been things like that. Um, obviously then keeping kind of our employee morale high, we do try to do multiple times a week, different events. We've actually used this opportunity to do a lot of webinars to try to educate our managers more and kind of get them more kind of get them to understand more kind of some of the, things that they're seeing daily and that they're interacting with. Um, but we, we do a weekly happy hour that also has like a trivia component to it. And usually there's a contest for winning some sort of prize. Um, you know, we're trying to do what we can to keep things as, as normal as possible and keep everyone as motivated as possible. But it definitely, definitely has been a challenge. It's definitely not easy. 
Um, but I, I, like I said in the beginning, though, I do feel relatively lucky compared to many people, um, just because of the fact that our industry is pretty stable. Um, and luckily, yeah. we've been able to keep all of our employees, and 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 um, we haven't had to let anyone go. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks for doing that. Uh, yeah, property managers are like, you know, besides doctors and nurses and stuff, I man, you guys are on the front lines of dealing with the public, right? In in the flesh. Um, no, that's right. What's What's interesting so, about it is. And I guess being very frank, the public, so doctors and nurses are obviously trained to deal with infectious diseases. Some of them know more than others. Um, and truthfully, I guess I don't know. I would assume they're being given some pretty good guidance on how to deal with COVID when people come into a hospital with it and whatnot, and they're not just kind of figuring it out as they go. Um, unfortunately, with property managers, we don't have as much guidance. So obviously, we have Rebney, we have other resources. The CDC has put out one thing, has put out a document about um, recommendations for how to clean a building if you've had someone who tested positive for COVID in the building. HPD has put out one resource, but it's pretty limited resources. They kind of came out pretty late in the game. Um, so a lot of the time we're trying to figure it out. And obviously we're trying to figure it out when people are pretty upset because um, you have a resident calling you saying, hey, my neighbor had COVID, right? Why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that? And we say, look, the only guidelines that are out are the CDC guidelines. We followed the CD guideline, CDC guidelines exactly how it said. And they're like, well, I think you should do this. I think you should do that. Frankly, we, we don't know enough to know otherwise, right? We're, we're kind of following the recommendations that we're given. Um, and it's been a challenge because obviously we want to make people feel comfortable, make people feel safe. But at the same time, we only have the information that we have. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, that's crazy because like, yeah, we're all working remotely. Um, you guys, you know, your building staff can't do that. So it's just, uh, and to not even know what the right thing to do has got to be very kind of scary. Um, so thanks for doing that. And then to get on the acquisition side too, to change subjects a little bit, are you, so are you, where are you looking at, at properties? Are you doing multifamily? Is it, are you staying in New York? Are you going outside of New yeah, York? Yeah. So we, we work, primarily in New York until about a year ago. Um, so we were buying in New York and Connecticut until a year ago. Um, at this point, we've decided to go to the Midwest um, just because we feel that from a regulatory perspective, frank frankly, the government has just gotten way too restrictive here. They make it extremely difficult to operate and, and, and frankly, to be profitable in this business. Um, and obviously, as a new company, as, as kind of younger guys that don't have a lot of capital, um, we can't take the risk of, of properties that will frankly lose money for years with the hope that long-term they'll make some money, which seems to have become the play yeah. now in New York for people that are buying um, because of mostly legislative restrictions that the state has set. Um, so we have now started acquiring properties in Oklahoma is kind of what we have set as our target market, um, Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Um, you guys actually just recently helped us to find an amazing um, employee out there, Darlene garrison um so shout out to darlin um oh yeah thank you man so you yeah, guys, thanks for letting us uh work with you yeah no you guys did a great job with that you really found a great person it was actually it, it, it's interesting and i don't know how you guys found someone out there um but we um had put <laughs> yeah, a, we had put up postings either. we obviously like everyone right we didn't really want to have to pay a recruitment firm um to find someone so we kind of put up our postings first put it up for like two weeks said okay let's kind of see who we found couldn't find good candidates. Um, we kind of then through Mickey kind of, we brought you guys in um, and actually Nathan out of the Chicago office, I think was involved in it. Um, he somehow started bringing me day after day, these amazing candidates. We interviewed Darlene um, and we were like, she's a perfect fit. She's amazing. We had a couple rounds of interviews and then I flew out there, met with her. This was probably in February, um, made her the offer and she's been amazing for us. So thank you guys. 
Yeah, great job. Love to hear that story. That's awesome, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for telling us or, or sharing that because, yeah, I mean, we, the Oklahoma City, obviously you don't have like the talent pool or whatever to pick from as New York. Um, so it's a little bit different. But yeah, we, I mean, background group, we have offices, do a little plug, we have offices all over the country. So basically anywhere you are, we have people who can kind of get our tentacles involved and, and find people in those different networks. Yep. Um, so, so awesome. I mean, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a cash flow? Looking for value add? So generally, yeah. Generally, what we're looking for is, is properties that have some um, kind of value add component. Um, but we are buying for a. So, so we're buying to get to good cash flow. So basically, at least for for me and most of the investors we've been working with, the cash on cash return is the main. Um, metrics that we've been using to gauge success of a deal. Um, but we don't need to necessarily go in at a great cash on cash return as long as once the built property is stabilized, we'll be at a good cash on cash return. Um, so we like things that have been under renovated, things that have been under managed over the years. Obviously, having a management company, um, that gives me the opportunity to come in and kind of more strongly manage a property, reposition things, bring down some of your expense costs, uh, make sure units are leased quicker and kind of turn over to happen quicker. Um, and kind of all of the basics to just make sure that we could get a cash flow relatively quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's the hardest part of like, especially like, I think buying places and like not in your backyard. Yep. Kind of have to like, how do you make sure they're managed correctly? But you, you already, you own a management company. So there you go. That's right. <laughs> but, but look, I will say, obviously in new cities, right? You don't necessarily have the same resources and the same relationships that you have, for example, in New York or Connecticut, we are, where we already have established presences. So we, I fly out there, I spend some time there, I make some, so, some connections and relationships um, and find good people, right? Like Darlene, truthfully, has been amazing. She's connected us with a lot of vendors. She kind of oversees the process. Um, and once again, right, it comes to trust. Once I've, I, I've kind of been in person with her a couple of times, speak with her literally daily, um, once I build trust, right, then it's much easier to move forward and start making decisions and figuring out how to do things um, when you have someone that you feel you can trust. For selfishly, I want to know how did you, why did you pick Oklahoma, and uh, how did you find your properties? Were you going through brokers? Did you know, like, how did you know what a good property looked like in Oklahoma? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so we are, so we, in terms of finding the properties, we are generally working through both brokers, other owners, um, some lawyers, um, and then partners. So, like this one was brought to me by a partner originally. He had found the deal. He brought it to me, said, "Hey, would you want a partner on this?" And we ended up doing it together. Um, in terms of Oklahoma specifically, so actually it had been put on my radar a couple years ago by an employee who actually had gone out there for a weekend. Um, there's a program specifically that brings young Jewish professionals out there to um, experience Tulsa, Oklahoma. And basically the idea is they want to grow the Jewish community out there. So they're trying to recruit young Jewish professionals to move out there and kind of raise their families there and stuff like that. So one of our employees had got out for a weekend because someone told them about it. They pay for your trip. Um, so he went out there, he checked it out. He was like, you've got to see the real estate here. This is an amazing market. I looked at it a little bit, but wasn't sure. And then when the partner brought me this deal, I was like, wow, I really like this. Um, and then the more that I've investigated that market, I just think there's a lot of potential. Um, I think that you could get in on things at relatively reasonable cap rates. Um, the market has not been saturated yet. Part of that is because from the East coast, there are not direct flights. Um, so it's a little bit more complicated to get there, but once you get there, um, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, and I'll also say the people there are great, whether it's the city of Tulsa, they've been unbelievably helpful to us. Um, our employees, vendors, people are just friendly, nice. It's just a totally different environment than New York. 
Um, and you know, <laughs> they're for, inviting you to come, come invest, come invest. Well, that's exactly right. They want you to be there. Right. In New York, it's like everything that you do, the government's trying to like cut you down and say, say, nope, we want to make it harder for you to invest and harder and harder and harder over there. They're like, no, bring your money here, bring your money here. And they make it so mm-hmm. warm and welcoming. Um, and frankly, the returns are just so much better. So yes, it takes a little bit more time to travel there, but once you're there, if you can make so much more money and it's so much easier. Why would you not buy stuff there? I know Mike Bash, the guy who runs the program that brings young Jewish professionals to Tulsa. He is a friend of mine from, he had lived in New York for a while. He ran for mayor in New York before he took on that opportunity in Tulsa. A very interesting guy. If you want to go to Tulsa, look him up and he'll he'll hook you up. Have you been to Tulsa, Mickey? I have not been to Tulsa. I, uh, I have not either. I think, but I mean, I, I actually heard good things. And um, I think it might be time for Backrock to send Mickey out there on a trip. Let's do it. When it's safe to go to an airport again, I'm down. Just drive your car. You don't have a car. I do not have a car. Take, and an, take an Uber. I don't love to drive, so I would have to fly there. Mickey, it's on, it's on Backrack. Take an Uber. Yeah, we got it. Don't worry about it. That would be a really send the bill. Send, send the bill somewhere. I don't know where it goes, but send I it somewhere. I can maybe get Mike to, to fly me out. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, well, that's exciting. I mean, it sounds like an amazing. You, I mean, you've come a not. You haven't come a long way, but you've definitely like built something really cool. Um, I think starting your own business has got to be pretty exciting. And you, you know, you, it's your it's your business. You get to you know, put your imprint on it, and you know, that's 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 awesome. I mean, it's, most people, especially in the property management side, I can see a lot of people. Well, actually, I find a lot of property managers generally kind of risk averse for some reason, the ones we work with at least. I, then, I think that's like, probably I, true, right? It's a, it's, it's a low margin business, but a relatively stable business. So I think at least the companies, right? Ownership of those companies tend to be people who are very conservative um, and they get into that business because they're conservative because um, it's just a stable, low margin business. Yeah. And so to find someone in that who's smart, ambitious, you know, able to take, willing to take risks. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, that's a shout out to any young person trying to get into real estate who doesn't can't, you know, is not getting that acquisitions job that they're dreaming of. Like if you got that, that hunger, I mean, get in the property management game and, and work your way through it. Like, like Mike did. I mean, it's, it's just, he just, he just did the blueprint for for you. So um, be of service, take on responsibility. No, we talked about this on the podcast, on the webinar that we did that I think property management is a better way to learn the properties if you ever want to own your own properties because the modeling is very easy to learn, but knowing how to look through a building for all the potential problems and money pit. So like owning real estate is basically like owning a money pit. Um, That's my dad's thing. Um, And so you want to know like how deep the pit is before you buy it. And if you've managed properties like Mike has, you can just analyze it like a lot quicker and better than if you just were looking at an Excel sheet and don't actually know what's going on in the building. Right, Mike? Yeah. So, yeah, I I think that is right. I think you have a better sense. Look, it's still a lot of unknowns with real estate. So anyone who thinks you're going to kind of financially model something and go in and it's going to operate exactly like you modeled it, like, that's just not happening. Um, but you're right. You can you can kind of identify more of the pitfalls and have a better opportunity to try to um, kind of cut them off before anything bad happens um, if you're aware of it because you kind of know the signs sooner. Um, but 
I, I will say anyone who thinks you're going to model a property and come in and operate it just like you modeled it, that just is not ever happening. <laughs> uh, well, it's, ex it's exciting to, uh, to learn all about your company. Thanks for sharing your time with you. Now we're going to put you on the world famous hot seat. Are you ready, Mike? Let's do it. The Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com, k-k-r-e-s-e-t.com. All right. Mickey, do you want to ask the first question? Sure. Uh, Mike, are there any books that you would recommend to people who are interested in real estate or just in general, like about life or self-help or career development? Yeah, so I've actually lately been reading The Happiness Advantage, um, which is a book that kind of talks to you about how to try to find happiness in life um, and kind of how to identify kind of what are the priorities and whatnot in your life and, and kind of mindset in terms of finding happiness. I've found that to be pretty um, a, a pretty uplifting and, and useful book in terms of just kind of what it talks about um, in terms of real estate specifically. Yeah. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think a lot of real estate get, gets learned through doing so really to me to learn real estate, like just, you know, either partner with someone or, or take the chance and kind of start buying things or like you said, kind of get a job in property management or somewhere where you're really kind of knee deep in it. Um, to me, that's really the best way to to learn and um, kind of see what your opportunities are. Nice. How about any, do you listen to podcasts? Wow. You guys are, are really getting me here. <laughs> so not not too much. I've been I've been listening lately, actually, to Science Verse. Um, I don't know if you guys know that one. Um, it's just kind of an interesting, usually like 15 to 30 minute podcast, um, that is about, um, about different science topics. Like there's been a lot lately about COVID and kind of talking about some of the truth and facts about COVID, like whether you get the, get it twice, whether masks will really do anything. Um, what's the distance that you should really be for social distancing? Obviously everyone says six feet, but if you're running in the park, if you're riding a bike, right, what's the real distance and kind of from scientific testing, like where does that fall out? Um, so they've had some interesting podcasts like that. So I've been listening to, to those a little bit. Um, but That's yeah, okay. not, not too You're much. You're a busy guy. How about, um, now I've been, answer, I've been asking this since uh, we've been quarantined, any, any TV shows you're watching, any series we, we should be diving into? Well, so obviously the new Fauda came out. So kind of went through that in probably a day. Um, that one was pretty exciting. Other than that, um, I do like cooking. So um, Amazon Prime now is offering the Food Network. Um, it's called, I think, Live Kitchen, um, which kind of will let you you go on and you kind of get recipe look recipe lists beforehand, and then you cook along oh, cool. with them. And they teach you like different skills, how to make different sauces, and and, and things like that. So I've been doing that a little bit. 
um, yeah, um, that's it. You know, work, work takes me a lot of hours. Um, I am not married now, no kids. So my feeling is this is my time to do that. Once I have kids and a family, I won't have time to work so much. Um, so my feeling is right now, let me put kind of as much as I can into work um, and really try to grow the best business I can. And then hopefully it will be at a point where it somewhat sustains itself by the time I have a family and kids. Nice. Good answer. All right, Mick, you're up. Well, you also recently were a guest on one of our mutual friend, Andy Weiss's podcast. Um, so, so if you want, Andy was a guest on our podcast and then he took the idea and run, ran with it. So it's, it should be like an affiliate affiliation with our podcast. Yeah, really. It should be like what the same uh, parent company. Well, I will tell you guys your your podcast and, and I hope Andy doesn't kill me for this because I love Andy, but your podcast is definitely more professional. <laughs> His was on a Zoom call. Well, I, well what we've uh, we started uh, that way. That's how, that's how you start. You start in the Zoom. You pay as little as you can, and then you uh, you, you realize that you, you know I realized oh we're gonna keep doing this, and so I we started paid paid Julio and. Uh, there, there it is. So you hire somebody. Um, so my, what do you, Oh, I didn't, so my, go ahead, or Mickey, go ahead, go ahead, ask the next question, please. Um, I think you kind of touched on this, that you don't do that much outside of work, but what, is there anything, anything you do do outside of work that you like to talk about or? Yeah, sure. So, so I, I think for me right now, um, I'd say my charitable work are some of the biggest things I do out of work that really mean a lot to me. Um, I've lately been, um, work, well, obviously, lately, once again, becomes relative in COVID times because um, I haven't really been able to get out of the apartment for these things. But um, before COVID, I was volunteering quite a bit with the Jewish Board, um, which is an agency here in New York that runs um, a bunch of different social services, including foster wow. homes. Um, so I've been, I was volunteering at some of their foster homes um, and actually it was pretty neat because I was able to get my company involved in it. We had a couple of company kind of volunteer days there. Um, which was pretty amazing. Um, so I was doing some of that and I'm on their junior board. Um, also I do, um, I do participate heavily with UJA, which is, um, the Jewish Federation of New York, basically. Um, and I'm on their real estate board. Um, I also am active within Jewish National Fund. Um, and specifically also their real estate committee. And then they also have a fire and rescue task force where we've been raising money for fire stations and fire truck and fire equipment in Israel. Um, we specifically have started a young professionals fire and rescue task force. Now it's part of the main task force. So everyone on it is, is a member of the main task force also, but we also focus on creating activities that are specifically for young professionals to engage young professionals in opportunities to raise money for the Israeli fire department. Um, so been doing that and that's been an amazing experience great people on that and also just a really really good um a really really good um opportunity to give back um specifically on the young professional side we we're starting uh um we're starting a a i guess mission to raise money both for smaller equipment so infrared cameras jaws of life and smoke detectors in israel smoke detectors in general are not required under building code. So most buildings do not have smoke detectors. It's not part of the general culture there. Um, and more people die every year of smoke inhalation than fires. Um, so we feel that's kind of a major impact that we can have and, and being younger and not necessarily having as much financial resources. Um, it's a way that we can really give back and have a major impact. Um, lastly, my big thing right now also is um, I have for the past few years gotten involved with um, 
with both investment opportunities and then also the Kosovo Jewish community um, in Kosovo, which is in the Balkans, um, part of former Yugoslavia. Um, and so basically, um, I had been on a trip in the Balkans about three years ago now, and one of the places we stopped was Kosovo, and we learned about this concept of Bessa, which was a um, concept that Albanians have of basically being willing to sacrifice anything to protect your guests. And that translated to um, the Albanians in Kosovo saving tens of thousands of Jews during the Holocaust and sneaking them through Kosovo through an underground railroad network to um, Albania. So I'm working with the government of Kosovo and the Jewish community of Kosovo right now to um, both form a nonprofit and also build a museum to both document and commemorate the um, amazing actions that the Albanians in Kosovo took to save Jewish lives during the Holocaust. Wow. That's, I, that's impressive. I didn't know that. Um, it's hard to transition to this one, but what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? So if I had to look back, I would say, don't be scared and take more risks. Um, I think I'm relatively conservative and I think that has limited me somewhat, maybe for the be better, maybe for the worse. Um, I do think you learn from your mistakes and truthfully, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, um, but I, I, I think I've learned from those and I'll learn to not do that same thing again. Um, but I think taking risks ultimately leads to success. Um, if you don't take those risks, you'll never have opportunities for success. That's awesome. That's a, the exact advice I would give myself too. Um, Mickey, you want to take us home with the last question? Chris, you're hired again <laughs> as an APM. In Tulsa. <laughs> That's right. It's great there. It really is great. They have this park, the gathering place. I'm telling you, if you've got kids, bring your kids to Tulsa. You'll never leave. I, I live in the Bay Area. It's, yeah, I mean, we have the same problems that the New York has regarding those, the investing and, you know, anti-growth anti and investment. No, but I'm telling you, if you bring your kids to this park called the Gathering Place in Tulsa, look it up online. Your kids will never let you leave. You will be in Tulsa forever. I, it is the best park in the I world. I wouldn't mind it. I could, uh, I could, yeah, I'd have like, you know, maybe 10 or 15 of the places I live in now. Um, <laughs> That's very true. Uh, Mick, you want to take us home with the last question? Sure. So when you are hiring people, other than asking them the difference between a co-op and a condo, what else <laughs> do you look for? So it's interesting. So, so, so to me, the biggest thing is trying to find someone who's a problem solver. Um, to me, it gets frustrating when I hire someone and they just come to me with every single issue. Um, obviously, I want to be there to support them. I want to help them with things that they don't know. But at the same time, I want them to feel empowered to, to be able to figure out solutions, find problems, make recommendations of solutions versus just coming and set, telling, telling me a situation saying, what do I do? Um, I think people in life advance when they learn how to solve problems. Um, so I love asking um, puzzles during um, interviews. So both different lateral thinking puzzles. We have a lot of, um, there's this company in Israel called Gaia Games that makes these actual physical kind of game puzzles where you've got to like build different like shapes out of different objects or you've got to, we have like a 3D tic-tac-toe that sometimes I'll play with people. Um, and it helps me see how they think. I'm not necessarily looking to see that they know the right answer, but I like seeing how people think because um, it helps me to understand whether this is someone that will work through a problem to try to solve it versus just saying I'm either not good at this and just kind of give up um, or or kind of not want to not want to deal with it. Um, also, I find it generally breaks the ice pretty well. So once you kind of pull out a game and you're like, hey, want to play 3D mm -hmm. tic-tac-toe, generally all of a sudden someone goes from being super nervous to being just confused. 
Um, and that confusion is, I'd say, a little bit less intimidating for them than when they are nervous. Mickey, we need that game for when we hire people. All right. For our team. For our team. Mike, can we send us a link uh, and we'll go get it? Totally. I'll bring one for you okay, next time. Thank you. Please. We, we would totally use that. Um, Mike, thanks so much. Well, we oh, got to get two then. One for, one, for, one for your office and one for Mickey's office. We'll get two of them. Yeah, please. We'll, actually, we can be like the, we'll, then we'll become the officially licensed distributor of Gaia Games in the, in the U.S. Amazing. It's actually an amazing, amazing shop, Gaia Games. If no one's been, if you haven't been there, any of your listeners, definitely I recommend traveling to Israel just to go to Gaia Games. <laughs> amazing shop. So we got Israel, Israel, and Tulsa. Those are the two places you want to. Kosovo. And Kosovo. Don't forget to yeah. Kosovo. <laughs> That's right. Today I need to go to Israel for a prop tech 360 conference, which is hosted by another one of our clients as soon as they can reschedule it. So maybe I'll come with you to that one and I'll, I'll, I'll take you to Gaia Games. There's actually a couple Field of them. Field trip. That's right. Mike, thanks so much, man. That was great getting to know you and your story. Very impressive. And uh, you, you, you're a great guest. So thanks so much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you My having pleasure. me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. Please visit us online at tbg-realestate.com or on Instagram at tbg.realestate. Until next time, have a great week.